What's up, citizens? It's Vincent Jones, aka Citizen Jones, here with another episode of Quarantine and Chill, a daily podcast where we talk to LGBTQ people from around the world, learning more about their story and how they are experiencing the coronavirus pandemic, or what I affectionately call the zombie apocalypse. So grab a drink with or without alcohol and tag a few friends on the socials to join you for this kiki. And let's quarantine and chill. You know you can't go nowhere. Hell no. Hello, Dean Nelson. How are you doing over there in Vancouver? <sighs> Hello, Vincent Jones from Los Angeles, California. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how, how, how is it? How are things over in, in, in Vancouver today? Uh, today was absolutely beautiful day. Um, I was able to go down to the beach with safe social physical distancing, keeping people at least eight feet away from me. So that was very good. And um, yeah, just got some vitamin D. So it's really important to uh, stay healthy and be a little active and stay um, positive and yeah, I think things are pretty good. It almost feels kind of normal here, which is kind of weird. The benefit of of our current global shared experience is there's a lot less car traffic. There's a lot less planes in the air. So the noise pollution has decreased substantially. And it's mm. just wonderful to hear all the the songbirds and and uh, the other thing that we're seeing is we have a lot more whales and dolphins that have come into our um, the English Bay and into um, our sounds. So it's it's just it's absolutely mind blowing or breathtaking to see these majestic creatures that you know normally aren't there because there's so much uh, marine traffic that they don't like the noise, so it keeps them away. And so we're seeing a lot of that wildlife coming back into our urban setting, which is another really positive. If, if you can bring any positivity, it's that um, Mother Nature is responding very well <laughs> to our, yeah, our current yeah. human crisis. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Vancouver, British Columbia has been very responsive. We have an amazing uh, provincial health officer, um, Dr. Bonnie... I can't remember her last name, Dr. Bonnie. Day after day, Dr. Henry has been out front, guiding British Columbians with facts. Columbia, the risk still remains very low. Humor. Uh, wash your hands like you've been chopping jalapenos and you need to change your contacts. <laughs> and compassion. Uh, absolutely amazing. She's very factual. She's very calm. And she just really employs implores um, British Columbians to to be responsible, stay at home, wash your hands. Wash your hands is probably the most important thing that she really stresses out there is like, wash your hands, don't touch your face, and maintain safe social physical distancing is really, really important. And we aren't seeing the same amount of cases as we're seeing in Ontario and in Quebec. Um, so we're, it, she's really quite optimistic that 
if we continue to stay our course, um, we will plank this curve um, better than other other places around the world. So that's okay. that's optimistic for us. So it's good. It's just it's just it's a very weird time in our shared <laughs> history. Today, yeah. the Queen of England um, addressed Commonwealth nations and um, just really reassured her citizens, her people that, you know, we are going through a shared experience and we just need to remain patient, stay at home, wash your hands, be calm, and uh, we'll get through this. And she referred back to her very first public address that she did in 1940 when, you know, she was still a princess. And she wrote that speech along with her sister and addressing the world and addressing the children because she was a child back then too. Mm-hmm. And, and just addressing the kids saying, you know, I, we, I understand that you want to be with your loved ones, but at this time we just, we need to be responsible and you need to stay away and we will meet again. And I was just, you know, she's in her nineties and she's lived through so many incredible experiences and just the words of wisdom coming from her, the calmness. And it was quite an emotional, like I'm almost getting teary, just reliving her words. And I hope in the years to come, everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to this challenge. And those who come after us, We'll say the Britons of this generation were as strong as any. And yeah, it was just a very, very, today was a very special day. Um, and then I, I also feel I'm very grateful that I live in such a, a positive, optimistic country where um, our prime minister, he addresses us every day at nine o'clock, 9 a.m. Pacific time. And um, He's just very calm, reassuring that, you know, that your government is here to help you and just keeping us calm and just like, we're doing a good job. Things are getting, going to get a lot worse before they get better, but we'll get through this. And so that's, that's really encouraging. Um, there, there's an article that the New, York, the New York Times has just done. Uh, comparing Canada versus the U.S. and and they wanted to get Trudeau's, um, our prime minister's comment on it. And he goes, you know, I'm not going to comment on on your opinions or what's happening in the states. You know, we are here to support the best we can our the people of Canada and the people around the world and. Uh, Americans are our our friends, our cousins, um, and we want to support them as much as we can. And reading between the lines, you can tell that Trudeau is, I don't know if you're you're aware, but the White House has actually um, demanded 3M to stop all shipments of medical supplies to Canada. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. And so the prime minister was asked about this and he says, you know, we've been in touch with the White House and we've reminded them that we've had this longstanding relationship and 
you know, we supply like thousands of healthcare workers to Detroit every single day because they live in Canada. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're supported, like, it's not just a one-way street here. We, we support America just as much as America supports us. And mm -hmm. to use your Wars Measure Act in demanding 3M to stop shipments to international countries, including Canada, is very short-sighted <laughs> without actually calling Trump out on being short-sighted, but that's basically what he's saying. You know, so I, I like to start off each episode of Caribbean Show with hot topics, um, and we just went we went right into them. Your hot topics are better than ones that I, I had for us to talk about. The, the sad thing is, even governors in the United States are having the same debates with um, Trump as um, as Trudeau is having. Because yeah, I don't know if you if you heard there was a last week there was a press conference with um, Jared. Um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting his last Kushner. name with the. Thank you, Jared, Jared Kushner, where so we have this stockpile of um, ventilators. It's a federal stockpile. And he said it's our stockpile. And the journalists were like, what do you mean by ours? Like, if it's, <laughs> how, was it, how was it not for everyone in the country? He, right. and, he says, and, then, and then afterwards, they updated the website, the webpage that describes the national stockpile to try to kind of conform with Jared's description of it. But of course, with the, the internet being the internet, people have the before and the after and be able right. to show how he's changed it to fit his warped view of what that really means. Right. There's one more hot topic I want to talk about that, kind of, that will also lead into what you do. Oh, that's hot. So prides around the world are being canceled. And yes. there's, talk, there's talk about um, a digital pride. Um, are you involved in those conversations and what are your thoughts about that? Well, I just hosted our first digital pride yesterday for Breckenridge, Colorado. Uh, I, was, I was the executive producer for Breckenridge, Colorado. We were supposed to have pride this, this weekend and um, we got notice from Summit County health officials that um, they were advising any gatherings of more than 50 people to be postponed. And I had raised my concern when I was down in Colorado at the beginning of March that I said, you know, I think we may want to consider postponing Breck Pride because I think this, what's coming is, is going to be pretty serious. Mm -hmm. And so I talked to the Tourism Bureau and same with the ski resort, Breckenridge Ski Resort. And um, I talked to them on Monday, and by Friday that week, uh, we officially postponed Breck Pride. And then I've, I um, was talking with some of my colleagues in Colorado, and like everybody's really kind of bummed that you know we aren't able to celebrate Pride. So I reached out to one of my headline DJs, which is DJ Ginger Bear. Uh, Yay! Here, I love Ginger here, Bear. Yeah. Um, I got him on the call and I got uh, Kim Kuzma, uh, which is a singer songwriter. She performs, she's actually uh, performed a live set today at disco. She does uh, disco Sundays um, in the summer in Maine uh, at the front porch. And so they asked her if she would be able to do a, her disco Sunday um, mm. on the internet. So she did that. So I had her on the show yesterday as well. And 
Um, I had, who else was on the show? It was uh, Todd, Ginger Bear, uh, Kim. Uh, we had the bunkhouse on board. And then I had um, the unstoppable Connie Smudge. Uh, she's one of our drag divas that we were going to bring out uh, to Breckenridge this year. And we tried to get Jessica Lahore uh, from Denver on board, but um, her schedule just didn't allow to come on last minute. So we hosted this one hour show. It was very uplifting. We talked about a lot of different things. We broadcasted it live on Facebook um, and got quite a few messages back from people in, in Breckenridge and around the world saying, oh my God, that was so amazing. We felt like it was pride. It was like we had our own little après ski. And it, was just, it was really, really fun. It was just very upbeat. And, and I think that's really important. You know, we need to really stay optimistic in these times. Um, you know, we have a choice of either being very pessimistic and negative and, or we, we can be really optimistic and positive and see the goodness in this, if anything. And right. um, sometimes, you know, you just need to take that pause and say, hey, I think it's just time to just bring it down a tempo and maybe it's an opportunity for us to reinvent ourselves and, um, and go from there and, and stay healthy. Watch your hands. Healthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so you, so you, but you have a, a long track record of really creating these um, innovative experiences. Um, you want to share some of your background and tell, tell the audience about some of those experiences you've created over the years? Yeah, well, uh, so my background is really in resort hotel management. Uh, that's what I went to school for. And it was way back in, oh, I think it was 92. Um, the um, annual gay ski week, uh, Altitude, was in jeopardy. And so myself, along with a couple other business partners, uh, we came together and and we created a, a proposal to the the resort, to the town, saying, you know, we have an opportunity to either be proactive or react. And our recommendation is to be proactive because we, we have a couple thousand queens that are flying into Whistler and they're ready to party regardless if the party goes on or not. So <laughs> let's welcome everybody. But if we're going to do this, we demand that um, we are visible. So that very first year, uh, we were able to convince the resort municipality to put up rainbow flags on Main Street for us. And that was the first time in Whistler's history that we actually flew the rainbow flags out and proud. Um, and yeah. that was that was pretty. Oh, uh, what year was that? That was actually two thousand six. Two thousand six. Yeah. So nineteen ninety two is when we started um, um, altitude, and then in two thousand six is when we took it over. So I just got kind of confused. So um, <laughs> yeah. And then so I've been producing Whistler Pride for the last fourteen years, and um, uh, we're the second largest or the largest, depending on who you talk to. Uh, in the world, and um, Aspen and Whistler has always had this fun little rivalry between the two. Aspen was the original, they, that's where they started, and um, the, the reason why we started in Whistler is because uh, Colorado had passed um, very homophobic legislation back in 92, Amendment 2, I believe it was, or yeah, Proposition was, 2. Yeah, it went to Supreme Court, um, um, Supreme Court situation. 
Yeah. So, so, I, mean, it was, I mean, it was overturned in the Supreme Court. Yeah. But they, they still had that law moving ahead for, I think yeah. it was a year that um, it gave it was, bus, businesses and landlords the ability to openly discriminate against gays and lesbians, which was just mm-hmm. absolutely horrible. So our founder of Altitude, uh, Brent Benishak, he had a B&B up in, in Whistler, and he said, why don't you come to my home mountain, and, and instead of supporting a state that's homophobic, why don't you come to my home mountain where people are welcomed? And, oh, uh, I, never, so, I, never um, this, I never knew this origin story about Whistler Pride. Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's how we got our start. And, and, you know, back in the 90s, we were still coming out well it was still part of the whole hiv aids pandemic that we we also went through and there was a lot of nervousness about having gays on the mountain and and stuff and whistler was kind of open to it but it wasn't like really embraced and a couple years later um we did a pink dot campaign where um we weren't getting really a lot of support from Whistler. And we said, you know, we went to our, our guests and said, uh, we're handing out these pink dots. Every time you go and spend money in our resort, put pink dot on your money or on your, your credit card receipt, just so people can see us visibly because we're an, invisible, we're an invisible minority. And we want people to understand, you know, we generate a, a really good economic benefit to the resort and we're respectful. And after that, you know, Whistler really came around and really supported it. And then in 2010, um, there was an opportunity to, to really jump onto the world stage. And that's when we developed the concept, well, it started in 2009, but we opened up the very first Pride House at the 2010 Winter Olympics. And with that, we, we dared to talk about homophobia within sport and we challenged the IOC. And in July of 2009, we were on the. I was on the front page of the Monday sports section of the New York Times. Oh my lord! Oh my lord, Jesus! <laughs> I don't think my dad ever thought his son would ever be on the sports <laughs> section of any newspaper, let alone the New York Times. Oh, right? I love it. I love it. Yeah. Love yeah. It. So we we were the breaking story of the 2010 Olympics and. Uh, the boys in Lucerne, Switzerland at the IOC, they were not too impressed that this, these homosexuals were taking over the commentary of the 2010 Olympics. But and what happened in the Pride House? What happened in the Pride House? Well, so the Pride House uh, is, uh, was designed to be a pavilion. Um, so when, when we first launched Pride House, there was a lot of misunderstanding as to what Pride House was. Uh, we just assumed naively that everybody around the world understood what a house was because, you know, you have Canada House, USA House, you have Heineken House. So it's um, house refers to a pavilion, uh, a hospitality suite or a space for the national teams to gather with their friends and family. And some of the, the pavilions are open to fans as well. Like Heineken House is a, as a great example of um, a pavilion that's open to the public where you're able to go and cheer the Dutch teams and, and, and have that Dutch experience at the Olympics. 
So we wanted to create one for the Rainbow Nation, uh, for the queers. And uh, so we created this beautiful space that um, celebrated our LGBTQ history and sports. We talked about the gay games and the out games. We talked about um, ILGA. ILGA was one of our partners, which is a human rights organization, international human rights organization. So we had this giant uh, poster uh, hung on the wall and it was a map of the world where it showed where it was uh, safe to be gay and where it was very hostile to be gay. Mm. And um, it was a very, very powerful um, art display. If, even though it's really an educational resource, it was really an art. Um, we also had the pride flag from the 25th anniversary of the rainbow flag from Gilbert Baker. Uh, our friends from Key West sent up uh, a big section of the 25th anniversary flag. So we had it on the ceiling with lights cascading through and just creating this beautiful oh, rainbow glow that. inside the pavilion. It was beautiful. Uh, we had Edmund Hakusan, which is one of Alberta's most loved queer artists. Um, he created this beautiful sculpture called Slapshotless. And it was basically uh, a naked hockey player that was one third life size, but everything was like life size detail. Like, oh my gosh, it was amazing. And he took inspiration of the discus thrower of ancient Greece um, and just playing that homage to that and, and making it somewhat homoerotic. And it was just very, very popular. And we became the third most talked about news story of the Olympics because there was the first time that we actually talked about homophobia within sport and um, we were able to hold an international press conference when uh, Johnny Weir had some very homophobic remarks made against him from some uh, Olympic sports commentators. So we, as soon as that happened, we, we called on it and we held the first press conference at the Olympics, which was broadcasted live to 128 countries like oh my gosh it was amazing um yeah so i've done that uh, i co-founded mr gay world um back in 2009 and uh, we we champion um gay men um to help lead and be positive leaders in their own community and uh, this year we were supposed to be down in South Africa, but we've had to postpone that, of course, because of our current situation. We're hoping to resume Mr. Gay World 2020 in September, but mm. fingers crossed that things return by then. Yeah, in Cape I've Town? done a few things. Uh, no, it's actually going to be in Port Elizabeth, I believe. Port Elizabeth okay. and Nisna. Yeah. You have done so much. That's pretty impressive. What, um, what, what what inspires you? What inspires you to to do all these things? Well, I you know I think I'm I'm kind of an accidental activist. Like t taking over Whistler Pride, I was kind of thrusted into that, and and I really didn't know too much about the of the gay culture, so I jumped in with both feet and became. I joined the Vancouver Pride Board. Actually, I um, was elected onto the board, which 
was kind of a crazy experience. And when I, when I was on that board, uh, we went to Zurich, Switzerland, and that's mm. when we met other uh, gay activists and pride organizers from around the world. And living in Canada, you get kind of complacent and you kind of think that, you know, being gay is just normal. And until you actually talk to other people from Uganda or from Sri Lanka and how difficult it is for them to be authentic, to be themselves and to be arrested or see their their boyfriend or their loved one being chopped to death in front of them because their families do not agree with their choice and just heartbreaking and mm-hmm. yeah ab- absolutely incredible so that that really changed who i was and when i was i think it was in 2008 I was invited to be an international judge with Mr. Gay Europe. And when we were in Budapest, that's when um, the neo-Nazis and the Hungarian nationals mobilized and they really wanted to squash the uh, Budapest pride. And it became a very, very violent incident. And I've never been so scared in my life. Like just Mm. living through that hostility and, and hearing these chance and it's it's in a language i don't even understand but you could just tell it was very hateful whatever they were saying um and you could just feel that energy and it was just you were just so wound up and and um as i was marching down the street um protected by thousands of police people and armored tanks like literally armored tanks to flank us on one side is to provide a bit of a shield. There was this, this elder couple, they must've been in their seventies, maybe, I don't know. They were old and they're a heterosexual couple. And I'm just like, why are you here? And, and they just looked at me and they go, well, we lived through the war when our families did nothing. We saw our neighbors being taken away and we did nothing. And we said, we can't allow that to happen again. Like, wow. And like, talk about turning into a little crybaby. I was just like, oh my God, it was just such an emotional moment that, you know. I'm getting goosebumps right now just hearing you talk about it. Yeah, it was just, it was a very, very powerful experience. And um, so we, we wanted to sh- share that experience. And, and um, that became part of a documentary that I was a part of called Beyond Gay, The Politics of Pride, where we went to prides all over the world. And um, yeah, it was just a, such an amazing experience. I, you know, I'm very, very grateful for all the opportunities I've had to travel around the world and be this professional gay. And, and now I'm curating travel for people yes, was, all over the world. I was going to ask you about that. I know you mentioned how your, how your, um, your work organizing events has been impacted by the coronavirus. How has your travel business, Departures by Dean, been impacted by the coronavirus? Yeah. yeah well, obviously we aren't flying anymore. And, um, 
everybody's self-isolating. So it, we just need to be creative on what we do. Travel will come back. It may take a, a little bit for it to come back. But what I'm doing right now is, is taking this pause, this opportunity for pause to reach out to people and say, what, what's your dream? Like you looking at your life ahead, where are some of the places that you want to go and mm -hmm. how can I help you get there? Do you have some amazing um, celebrations coming up, um, anniversaries, key birth dates, um, anything that you want to see while you're still young and healthy to get out there because, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Um, I was lucky, you know, last year I traveled all over the world and who knows, will we be able to travel again um, so freely? Uh, maybe not because the airlines are taking this opportunity to really look at some of their, their processes and just like, do we need to have all these routes? Maybe we don't. Right. So um, I, I think our travel world is definitely just like 9-11. Things changed after 9-11. Um, things after Corona is going to change. Um, maybe it's going to change for the better. Maybe um, we'll wake up and say we need to be more responsive to our planet. And this is an amazing opportunity to give our planet that time to heal. Right. So, yeah. Well, so it's the Time in the Quarantine and Chill podcast where we ask our guests, what would you do? So I'm going to give you a scenario. And it's a scenario that's based on things that are happening in this moment. And I ask you, what would you do? Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. And actually, it relates to what you just said. So pretend you are an, um, a flight attendant for an airline that is doing, um, you know, a lot of international flights still. Because even though most flights are grounded, there are still flights going around. And, um, and there, so most of the flight attendants have been um, grounded, but you have senior status and they want you to um, be one of the people flying most of the flights. What do you do? Do you still, do you still fly? Or do you say, no, I want to not fly to because you're afraid of your health? Well, for, for me personally, I, I would continue to fly because people need to be repatriated home. Um, will I take extra precautions? Absolutely. Um, I would be working very closely with... Um, the airline unions or human resources to ensure that we have the most scientific information available to ensure the health and safety of the cabin crew and our passengers um, and just understand what those risks are. Uh, I would probably advocate that we would do one or two flights a week or one flight a week 
for me. And then you have a week off to just ensure that you're, you're okay and keep leapfrogging. So you're spreading that, that risk out with more staff um, that are willing to do so. Citizens, what would you do in a scenario? You can go to our Quarantine and Chill Facebook page to let us know right now. You can also post it to your Instagram story or on Twitter. Just make sure to add us or to use the hashtag Quarantine and Chill. We'll share it. For me, it's it's a humanitarian thing. You you need to be there to serve, and that's what we're doing in the travel industry as well. Um, we how many passengers did you help? bring home. I know that you you had a client in in Taiwan that was having troubles coming home and it's your job to help find that solution. Exactly. And that's 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 what we're here for. Did you read there's an article in the New York Times? It's a fascinating story. I've been like thinking about it a lot and and it's to this point about repatriation. It's a South African couple and they went on their honeymoon and the Maldives, the Maldives, and they're on an island resort, like a seven or eight hundred dollar a night um, um, island resort. Beautiful, excuse me. And but they're the only people who are on the uh, who are at the resort still, right? <laughs> because they haven't, because like they weren't able to get out. So basically, the way in order to get back to South Africa, they would have to go to the main island and then to here and there, and they wouldn't have been able to do all that in time before the um, borders closed for certain places. Um, so now they're stuck um, in this island paradise, and the entire staff has to stay there too, because I guess according to the country's laws, they can't leave until the last guest has left, and then they have to go into quarantine before they can go home. So this, so these two, this couple, they're getting their full entertainment at dinner time. They get all the staff doting on them, but they can't get home. And they're cut and they're and they're about forty people, I think is what it or forty people in the area who are still stuck, but they're not able to contact all of them. And because their only option is they can charter a private jet, but they have to split the cost. And that's like super expensive. And so imagine if you yeah, you might have saved the money for that experience. But then to to then think you have to pay your share of a private jet, and that's just whoever decides to get on it. So if it's not full, then you got to pay a lot a larger amount of that. So that is right. Amazing. I mean, it's such a weird. It's making me think a lot more. I want to understand repatriation a whole lot more and where our rights are because I I from what I understand, the Trump administration is not even doing much about that. They, they've told. Americans abroad, you're on your own. And I will say, I mean, I'm a, I love America. I love my country. Um, and despite our problems, but I always felt that no matter what was happening, that if you were an American stuck abroad, they would get you. I felt like that was something like a, a value of our country. But to see that this person is just letting people just be stuck around the world when he's saying, come home, and not offering any help, it's just, it, it, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, the Canadian government uh, is helping Canadians um, come home. And, you know, for some people, they have to do 
special private charters, and the government is is helping with that cost. Um, it's it's not a free cost; it's a loan that mm-hmm. they'll have to pay back eventually. But they're taking that burden off you for the well, short good, term. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it is your responsibility. And sometimes, um, depending on what kind of travel insurance you have, insurance may may help with some of that. But in this current situation, a lot of the insurance is null and void because it's now force manure, um, which overrides a lot of the things um, that the insurance will not cover because of of being in that that category so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so um with all this going on um how are you staying well what what tips do you have to stay sane in this time period in our industry i'm i'm very grateful uh both you and i we belong to ensemble which is uh, a consortia of travel agents uh in the u.s and canada and australia I think we have maybe some agents in Europe too, but it's primarily U.S. and Canada. So many amazing training resources. Um, Normally, we're so busy escorting groups or planning groups or helping individuals that you just don't have the time to do some of these education programs. So it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for me to brush up on some of the destinations and some of the suppliers that... I've wanted to learn more about uh, learning a lot more about Paul Gauguin and mm. Tahiti and becoming um, uh, an expert for that region. Same with Penant, um, which is the parent company of Paul Gauguin. It's a French mm. um, luxury cruise line. And I, I really think that's going to be the future of travel, um, especially for a cruise. People will be a little bit more hesitant to go on the larger ships um, I agree. for a couple of years. So looking at some of those smaller vessels is, is going to be really important for us to really understand what that experience is about and giving our customers the confidence to invest in that experience because it's, it's an incredible experience. Um, I've, I'm really lucky. I've been on Paul Gauguin before, so I know what that experience is like. I sailed with their smaller, um, luxury yacht, uh, the Terra Moana, when they still had it in Europe. And just being on a small luxury yacht of 100 people is such an incredible experience. And mm-hmm. Penant, uh, they have some beautiful vessels, and I'm really excited to explore more about that. So, yeah. Hi, citizens. For today's wellness tips, go to the Clearington and Chill Facebook page. You can even leave some of your own. Um, so I think I think you kind of you may have answered my next question for you is when we are able to travel again, where do you want to go next? Well, <clears throat> I ha- I still have two trips on the books for 2020. Um, one is sailing with Azamara on the Black Sea, which I'm hoping that will happen in September, and then in November I still have a small group that I'm taking to Tahiti on the Paul Gauguin. So I'm hoping at least the Paul Gauguin will will still be available in November. So I'm looking forward to those two trips. And, and we've, we've talked about doing something with Aqua Expeditions, which is mm-hmm. another beautiful, small uh, river ship um, 
they have beautiful products both in Peru and on the Amazon and and also in Vietnam and Cambodia. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some really amazing opportunities to do something with them. Yeah. And before I let you go, where can folks find you online on the internet and social media and everything? Well, if people are interested in having a travel curator, that's a little bit quirky. <laughs> uh, that's me, Departures by Dean. So it's just departuresxdean.com. And that's also my Instagram and Twitter is departuresxdean. So you can find me there. Yeah. So my, my last question for you. Um, after all this is over, um, what do you personally hope to take away from this experience? And what do you hope the world or Canada um, take away from this experience? Well, I, I think that my takeaway from the experience already is um, the relationships that we have. Mm-hmm. And it's just absolutely remarkable how how much closer we've become with some of our suppliers and with some of mm-hmm. our clients because we've had that opportunity to do either FaceTime or a Zoom conference call or a Facebook Live and just have those authentic experiences. And it's a shared global experience, which is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just understanding those relationships and not taking for granted our travel opportunities and just really embrace our health and, and our freedom of being able to get out and travel, I think is really important. And, and stay optimistic and wash your hands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wash your hands, wear your mask outside, stay socially distant, but don't mm-hmm. lose your optimism, that's for sure. No, no. Stay positive. Um, we have to really, it's, it's all in the mindset and, and, you know, some, some days are, can be dark and it's okay to, to sit in that and just really experience that. But then you need to shift gears and say, what am I grateful for? And start Mm -hmm. reflecting on that and, and move forward. Um, it's, Earlier in 2019, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Namibia and climb Big Daddy, which is one of the largest sand dunes on the Namib Desert. Big Daddy, too. Mm, (laughs) I bet you do, girlfriend. (laughs) 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 It was was quite an intimidating um, sand dune. It was huge. And... You know, the faster you try and climb up, the slower you go because the sand just goes away, right? Mm -hmm. So it's just learning to take one step at a time. And if you have somebody ahead of you stepping in their footsteps, and it's just amazing. Oh, can you hear this? I'm going to take this off. So it must be 7 o'clock now. Oh, my God. At 7 o'clock, we start to cheer, everybody. Can you hear? I can, I can. What time is it? Seven o'clock. It's just before seven o'clock, so it's starting already. Um, It's very, very exciting. Every night at seven o'clock for the last three weeks, 
We've been getting out and cheering our healthcare workers, our frontline teams, working the grocery stores, our public servants who are out there. It's, it's so inspiring. I love and, that. Um, it's, it's so, so wonderful to, to hear the excitement and the energy here. It's just, yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Can you see there's some people down here on their balconies? Yes. Yeah, I love it's it. pretty amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dean, for your time. Thank you for your, all your positivity and for all you've really done for the global gay community. Gracias, toda oba, ni, obrigado. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Quarantine and Chill, a creation of yours truly, Vincent Jones and Citizen Jones Travel. Much love to the amazing Ben Salk, who produces, edits, and makes all the music for the podcast. If you love this episode, please like and leave positive comments on the podcast platform of your choice. You have no idea how much that helps us. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where you can learn more about today's guests and get any resources mentioned in the conversation, as well as connect with other citizens in the quarantine and chill community. Until tomorrow, this is Vincent Jones reminding you to wash your hands. That's quarantine and chill.